Welcome to Screenshots, the podcast that offers a critical take on television, movies, and the occasional video game. I'm William Wright. Please join my brother Scott and me as in this episode we discuss media treatments of the JFK assassination. So we record on Thursday nights, but usually the podcast isn't available until Friday. So a week from when this is posted will be the 22nd of November, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And there's a special on the National Geographic Channel, um, well, a miniseries actually that started airing November 10th, uh, starring Rob Lowe called Killing Kennedy. So Scott and I decided that uh, it might be a good idea to talk about the various TV and movie treatments of the Kennedy assassination. And actually, there's a video game treatment of the Kennedy assassination, JFK Reloaded. Do you remember this at all? There was quite a bit of uh, controversy surrounding it. I don't remember that game at all. Yeah. Well, JFK Reloaded, it's called. I guess the game makers called it an historical simulation. Hmm. And what you did was you assumed the identity of Lee Harvey Oswald and you uh, assassinated the president. The fact of the matter is, I mean, we weren't born yet when it happened. Uh, certainly everybody who was old enough to remember the event, it's one of those events that people talk about. They knew exactly where they were when they heard that the president had been killed. Right. But um, November 22nd, 1963, the president was in a motorcade. He was in Dallas, Texas. He was um, on his way to another event. He was kind of going through Texas, as presidents often do when they, they'll visit a state and they'll go to different events. And he was on his way to another event. He just concluded an event in Dallas. Heading, he was heading toward the airport going out of Dallas, and his uh, his car was a, a convertible. The top was down. Uh, he was in the car with his wife, Jackie, and um, the then governor of Texas, uh, Governor Conley, was in the car with his wife. And uh, at a particular place just outside of downtown Dallas, there were spectators on either side of the road during, in the whole route, people who were excited to see the president in Dallas were were there watching his motorcade go through the city, and they were waving. And it was a, a very festive uh, environment, I guess you could say. But at a certain point, right before actually they were going to get on the freeway to go to the airport, they were going to go under a uh, railroad overpass, and uh, shots were fired. Uh, Governor Conley was hit. The president was hit first in the neck. He had a wound in his throat. Yeah, it was the back, then, of, back of his neck, so it went through to the front. Right. And then hit Governor Conley. Well, there's, there was some speculation of how it it hit so many spots on Governor Conley, but right. uh, that's, been, that's been proven, uh, I think, now. But uh, it went through Governor Conley's uh, shoulder blade, I think, or, yeah, through his shoulder blade, I think, and then it, it uh, hit his wrist and then into his leg. But uh, the next shot that hit the president was in the head. Mm -hmm. uh, it shattered his skull fairly dramatically. There's actually a home movie that was taken of the event that, that shows uh, his head being stricken by the bullet and uh, the, his skull shattering fairly dramatically. 
blood all over the place, brain matter all over the place. It's, it's very gruesome. Uh, but it's been seen by most people who have any knowledge uh, of the assassination or interest in it. He died shortly thereafter, of course, as the as his car picked up speed and started to head toward the closest hospital. Which is Parkland Memorial. Right. Since that date in 1963, of course, there was a uh, huge investigation done, although some people think that it wasn't huge enough. Uh, or it was huge in all the wrong ways, however you want to look at it. But eventually, uh, authorities settled on one suspect named Lee Harvey Oswald, who was an employee of uh, the Texas School Book Depository, which was a building that was on the route. And from the building, you could see the route. And uh, there was a good vantage point uh, from the from the building to fire shots at the president and assassinate him, and the uh, the notion was that the assassin from a six-floor six window had done just that. There there were um, shell casings right underneath one of the sixth-floor windows, and there was a rifle found on the premises. So it was believed that the assassin had fired all, all the shots from that sixth-story vantage point, uh, and that that shooter was Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was taken into custody. He was questioned uh, without being given any legal representation. Uh, after some period of time, uh, he was moved, uh, or they attempted to move him from the Dallas uh, city lockup to county because he'd been formally charged, and that was, once he'd been charged, that was their routine to move him, uh, to move a, a prisoner to the more secure county lockup. But uh, en route, before he even got out of the building, the the city police building, he was shot by a man, a gentleman by the name of Jack Ruby. Uh, Ruby had some mob connections. He, for a living, he was involved with nightclubs and and strippers and things of that nature. He, He didn't have a very good reputation. But for whatever reason, he shot shot Lee Harvey Oswald in the abdomen and uh, got him in just the right place where uh, some key, a key artery uh, and a key uh, vein were ruptured and he bled to death. And Lee Harvey Oswald soon died from those wounds. No other suspect was ever named. There was no trial. Really... In the context of the American justice system, since a person accused of a crime is innocent until proven guilty, uh, Lee, Har- Lee Harvey Oswald uh, has never, since he was never put on trial, uh, he, nobody has ever been found guilty of this crime. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald is not officially guilty of assassinating the President of the United States, although he is usually the person thought of as the person who did it. No other suspect was ever uh, sought after or named. Yeah, he never admitted to the killing. Not either killing, actually. He killed yeah. a police officer hour, uh, probably an hour after after he assassinated the president. Uh, that's And that's the crime he was picked up for to begin with. Yeah. Um, there was a police officer who was shot. Uh, a few people believe they saw the uh, the person who did that, and they... When they were shown a lineup, they 
um, pointed to Oswald as the shooter. Oswald was found in a theater, actually, and he had a handgun and the, the, uh, with him at that time, and the police had to sort of wrestle the gun away from him and take him into custody by force. So he was first taken into custody for killing the police officer, but then he was connected to the assassination as well. I think that's that's how it went, yeah. Now, Oswald, not only did he never admit to the crimes, but he denied that he committed them. Yeah. And insisted that uh, he was a patsy. That's the word he used, which was to imply that he was set up by somebody else. That uh, he insisted he didn't shoot anybody, he didn't kill anybody, and that whoever did do these things, they were trying to hang it on him. Now, there are some official... Uh, stories about what happened. Uh, a certain commission was assigned to investigate the assassination. Uh, that was called the Warren Commission. Uh, they uh, submitted their study and their conclusions to say that Lee Harvey Oswald was the shooter and he acted alone. But there were other investigations, uh, for, for example, a congressional investigation sometime in the 70s that through certain uh, acoustic uh, studies that they did on uh, newly found recordings of the gunshots. They concluded that there were more than three shots, that it was impossible for Lee Harvey Oswald to have to have gotten off all of those shots, therefore there must have been another gunman. And so that congressional investigation concluded that there was some kind of conspiracy, but it, they couldn't tell who the conspirators were, uh, and that they didn't point any fingers at, say, any government agencies or government entities or anything like that. Uh, so what all this means is that uh, even the official stories of what happened don't necessarily agree. And, of course, you have a lot of people who are critical of both official stories. And they have some other stories that they, that they tell that are backed up, in some cases, by some fairly decent evidence. So when you put it all together, there's... At least the perception, I think, among most people in the United States is that we don't really know what happened. There's There are too many contradictory stories. Uh, there's too much uh, apparently contradictory evidence. And I think everybody agrees that a lot of the original investigations were botched in some pretty significant ways so that, so that it's very difficult, actually, to nail down what happened specifically. That's a very oversimplified in brief summary as I know it. Uh, Scott, was there anything you wanted to add to that? Well, I mean, no. If we're just kind of skimming the surface, that's that's pretty much it. As we go into the films and things and, and maybe talk about some of the documentaries that we've seen or something, uh, we can go into more detail on those things, I'm sure. Sure. But that's, and... that's, a, good, that's a good start. Well, and and also it, I think it's important to, to point out that because this was such a hugely dramatic event in American history and because it occurred in the time of screen entertainment, I mean, that's that's what we focus on in this podcast. And the fact that, you know, television played such a huge role in Kennedy's presidency, really a lot of aspects of the event were televised. As it turns out, there wasn't much of a television presence at that time on the motorcade as he was leaving Dallas, but a lot of there were a lot of uh, 
movie cameras going uh, as as the motorcade was going through that area. Not just the one that is a, the famous one that people uh, know that show the president actually getting shot in the head, but several angles of uh, movie cameras. And, of course, you know, uh, there have been television documentaries about this and films about this. All of these things combined make the Kennedy assassination a, a pretty huge cultural thing in the United States. You know, there are a lot of there are a lot of conspiracy theories in the United States, but the Kennedy assassination is one that just about everybody has some kind of interest in or has knowledge of. You know, there are a lot of people that don't care anything about UFOs or. There are a lot of people who don't put any credence in any conspiracy theories around 9-11 or anything like that. But the Kennedy assassination is is one of those things that uh, everybody wonders about because it's something that we, we know happened. We can see it happening. We can watch it happen. And it it seems really bizarre that we don't have more answers as to what really happened or we have contradictory answers. So it, it's quite the cultural phenomena here in the United States, it, and it's generating a lot of interest right now because of the 50th anniversary coming up on the 22nd. So actually, I think between the two of us, Scott, you probably have had more interest in this uh, than I have. I mean, as you were saying before we started the podcast, you were saying that uh, you actually were kind of looking forward to uh, seeing a lot of stuff about the assassination in the run-up to the 50th anniversary, Yeah, because you were, you were interested to see all this. So not only have you probably seen more things than I have, but you probably have uh, more opinions about what happened, what didn't happen. and Yeah, um, I've watched a lot of documentaries over the years on the JFK assassination, and uh, I have uh, a morbid interest in it, I suppose. But I think everybody, not everybody, but I think a lot of people do have an interest in uh, anything that's a conspiracy. And this is the biggest conspiracy that I can think of. You know, there are many other famous conspiracies, but this is probably the most famous one because of all of the uh, different parts that are moving uh, around this whole assassination event. And nothing seems to check out. And like you said earlier, uh, the investigation was botched from the very beginning. Uh, a lot of stories were contradictory of each other, to put it lightly. I mean, there were a lot of stories that just really didn't match up, and I don't know. I don't know what you believe, but most people believe that there were more. There was more than one person involved in the assassination on the president. Um, I don't necessarily believe that, although I did see a documentary recently that has made me possibly change my mind on that. But I have always believed in uh, the one person who performed the assassination, and that's Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, uh, another big part of this is the... In, it's And it's not just the time that it happened, because we all know by now that uh, in the 60s there was already quite a bit of suspicion about the government that was already getting started. And certainly uh, after the assassination, when it didn't seem like the government was either competent enough to tell us what happened or they were too corrupt to tell us what happened. Either way, it, it mm -hmm. made people lose a lot of faith uh, in the government. 
and you know as the 60s continued and you had things happening with civil rights and of course eventually you know Bobby was assassinated eventually uh the president's brother and uh Martin Luther King Jr was eventually assassinated so this was sort of the beginning of all of that uh starting i mean I, again certainly there were already people who were uh unhappy with the government before this event but but this really brought distrust of the government kind of into the mainstream i guess you could say because people just didn't understand they didn't understand how it could happen they didn't understand how there could be so much confusion and everything afterwards yeah you know a really significant thing in american history and so it's it's totally appropriate that we should be thinking about it and talking about it right now 50 years later so scott you were talking about you said that you've always been sort of impressed that it was one shooter and it was leo harvey oswald was there a particular a documentary or film that convinced you of that or or was it maybe a film you saw that tried to convince you otherwise and it just seemed so outrageous that it only convinced you uh, more well i've never been big on this huge conspiracy that there were two or three people involved in the assassination and i suppose when jfk the the movie JFK came out in 1991 with uh, Kevin Costner as um, Jim Garrison, which he looks nothing like Jim Garrison, acts nothing like Jim Garrison, and so <laughs> that kind of takes it out already. But a lot of people who grew up in the 90s and saw that movie probably consider that factual, and uh, I don't believe that should be taken as fact, that whole movie, because there's a lot of stretches in there on how things went down and who perpetrated the assassination. They tried to pin it on a uh, former CIA agent and local businessman. I believe his name was Clay Shaw, and uh, that was played by Tommy Lee Jones in the movie. Right. And uh, he supposedly... Uh, concocted the plan to assassinate the president with help from other people. I, I didn't really know much about that trial or anything really about Jim Garrison when I saw that movie. When you watch that movie, they go through things very quickly, and it's very complicated to follow, and there's a lot of moving parts, and they can really suck you into believing that all of this stuff is true. And over the years since that movie opened and closed, people have kind of done their own investigation, if you will, on that movie and the uh, so-called facts that were brought up. And they found a lot of holes in the whole story. And frankly, Jim Garrison, and up until his death, was probably considered really reaching for he was he was really reaching for a a uh, solution to this whole assassination to, to solve the whole assassination attempt or not attempt but the whole assassination event he he's just he's pretty much been discredited and most people have there are uh, various attorneys who have come into the picture and tried to pin the uh, event on certain people and it it never it never really sticks. I mean, nobody will ever know 
who committed the murder. That's that's part of the conspiracy. We'll never know because it was 50 years ago, and when and when the uh, investigation was started, like I said, things had been botched and evidence was lost. And the documentary I saw, I saw recently kind of explained how those things could happen, but uh, I've read even with that documentary that that's been pretty much discredited. And it's the documentary I saw recently on Reels Channel was based on a book that was released back in the 80s, I think, and I'd never even read the book. I didn't know anything about the book. I didn't know anything about the theory. But it's just now coming back up to the surface because another uh, another man has uh, followed the same investigation techniques of this ballistic expert to support his findings, and he's written his own book, which is pretty much, you know, it's the same theory that he had. What's the documentary? Well, the documentary is called uh, JFK, The Smoking Gun, I think. And uh, the the guy who wrote that book is Colin McLaren, and he's actually from Australia. And he was a detective there, and he is following a ballistics expert who came up with the same theory, and he just has brought it back out into the light again because it was it was pretty much... Uh, in the book that was released was, it wasn't, some people say the problem with it was that it wasn't very sexy and it wasn't, it wasn't very exciting because there wasn't much of a conspiracy to it. It it kind of pinned the whole assassination on friendly fire, basically. How so? Well, what it, what it did was it, it pinned the, uh, actual kill shot onto a Secret Service agent who was in the car following the president. And who was the Secret Service agent actually trying to shoot? Well, he wasn't trying to shoot anybody. He accidentally shot a an automatic rifle into the president because he was reacting to the shots that were coming from the book depository building. So this theory is that someone was shooting from up there and missing. Yes. And missing, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Right. He he got Lee Harvey Oswald shot. He got two shots off. He hit with the first shot. No, not the first shot. He hit with the second shot and he was he was supposedly going for the third shot, but they say that he he probably never even got the third shot off because even though in the book depository they you see three shell casing casings up there, the first shell casing is three feet away from the other two shell casings, which means that the shell casing was already in the gun and he discharged that that shell before he sat down to start shooting. So that was a spent it was a spent shell, shell and he, he just yeah. and he just he just released it from the chamber so that he could load up again. Because you always leave a you always leave a, a shell in the chamber, I guess, when you're done. That's what I've heard. I mean, that's what they said. So it was making a lot of sense to me, but I didn't know how believable that was either. But it made me think more about it because over the many years that people have been going back and forth on this and bringing more people in or less people into the whole mix, the second shooter, 
idea started to make more sense with that. And the point that was made that a ballistics expert had investigated this and figured this out, it made more sense to me. He would know the type of ammo and what it would do. And that last shot did more damage than what the rifle would have done that Lee Harvey Oswald was using because it was a very old rifle. And, you know, that one shot went straight through the president into Connolly. And the the bullet that killed JFK, it basically blew his head out. Yeah. And that is not what that rifle is made to do. The, the ammo in that rifle doesn't do that. Hmm. And it apparently it... The size didn't match up to what the ballistic ex- ballistics expert tried to match up to a mock-up of the skull. If you He drilled a hole in the skull that was supposed to be the size of the entry wound, and the bullets that were used in the Carcano rifle mm-hmm. would not fit through that hole. But then, of course, they had people in a little, uh, they had a little replay, or not a replay, but they kind of had a, a play-by-play thing after the actual documentary where um, Bill Curtis was there. Uh, the ballistics expert who had run these tests before, he had since died. He, I think he died back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I believe. So he wasn't there to back up his findings, but the, the author of the new book, The Smoking Gun, Colin McLaren, he was there to, to give the details of the uh, of the tests or uh, the findings. And, uh, of course, there was somebody there who was a skeptic and said, well, that doesn't work because of this, and that wouldn't or that wouldn't necessarily happen that way because of this. So there was still some some back and forth even in, in that venue. But uh, it did make me think more about maybe there was another shooter. And the way the, way the bullet did disperse, kind of like little shrapnel in the brain and shot out part of his head, it did make me think, well, maybe that could be. It makes, it does make sense. They have a valid argument that could be considered, but people have since discredited it and debunked it, apparently. Well, there are a lot of things about the shots being fired and and whatnot that has caused debate. For example, in the Warren Commission report, uh, as a lot of these documentaries show, I mean, you and I haven't actually read the Warren Commission report, but no. But the documentaries that we've seen, and uh, the one that I've just been watching, called "The Men Who Killed Kennedy," a series. This is actually a fairly well-known and popular series on the Kennedy assassinations. Uh, the very first one that was ever done in the series was in 1988. Uh, actually, there were two of them in 1988. Then there were three more in 1991, another one in 1995, and then three more in 2003. Uh, And I haven't watched all of them. Uh, I've just watched through to the uh, conclusion of the 1995 one. But all of these documentaries talk about the Warren Commission report, and they talk about one of the most contentious aspects of it, which is the, uh, the pristine bullet, a bullet that was found in the hospital that that Kennedy was taken to uh this this bullet is in fairly good condition but it's a bullet they believe was the one that went through the president's neck into governor connolly 
uh, and it did all that stuff in him going through his his chest and through his the magic bullet wrist. It's often called the magic bullet because anybody who reads the Warren Commission report and they look at the bullet that it was reported to have done all these things that seems to be in pristine condition. Because what ballistics experts will say is that no bullet that actually goes into a person's body even, much less if it hits bone or anything like that, is going to go through that process without being distorted or having, you know, some kind of artifacts of, of its course. I mean, it's going to have scratches. It's, it's, it might be smashed. It might be broken. It's not going to look like, you know, a bullet that's shot through a person even is not going to look exactly as it did when it was loaded into the gun. There's going to be imperfections in it, and sometimes it's going to be very distorted uh, because of the impact on the person's body and its trip through the person's body, especially if it hits bone. But the, the bullet looked too clean for all the stuff it was supposed to have done, but also the route that it was supposed to have taken was not a straight route, at least not if you consider all the facts in the Warren Commission report. So most documentaries are critical of that aspect of the report. Although a doc, another documentary I saw, which was hosted by, uh, I believe it was Dan Rather. Now, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm not able really to find it, but uh, some time ago, I believe uh, Dan Rather did a special on the assassination where he was going to do some investigation and find out if it was possible that there was a single gunman. And what he figured out was that a lot of previous commentary on the shooting and the bullets and which bullets hit whom when, they all assumed the wrong speed of the motorcade. And that when you corrected and you entered the proper speed of the motorcade into the calculations and into the simulations, uh, it all made sense. In general, the motorcade was moving much slower than a lot of people assumed up to that point, mm -hmm. which meant that a marksman of maybe not quite as expert skill could have gotten the shots off. That was one thing that they figured out was that, you know, with the motorcade going as fast as people thought, yeah, even an expert marksman couldn't get all the shots off in the right way to have done all that. But if you slow the motorcade down to the speed that it was actually going, you wouldn't even have to be an expert marksman to get the shots off. And also it took care of the whole thing about the weird trajectory of the bullet. It didn't account for why this particular bullet looked so nice, but it did suggest a way that even if that wasn't the actual bullet, maybe that was a planted bullet or something, but it did su suggest how a single shot could have done all that work and still been a straight shot. And so Again, I believe it was Dan Rather concluded at the end of this that he was satisfied that it was still a single shooter and that it was Lee Harvey Oswald. And that was his last word on it. Well, in a few years after the assassination, Bill, they did have a special, probably in 1966 or 7, I think, where they had marksmen try to perform that those shots. And somebody was able to do it. It was actually the guy who was the ballistics expert who wrote that first book about this friendly fire theory. Mm. He was the he was the ballistic ballistics expert, and he's the one who was able to do it in three shots. But he couldn't do it the first time. He had to do it three times. Well, but he was able to do it. Well, but then again, what if they'd slowed the motorcade down? What if they'd said, well, actually, the motorcade was only going this fast. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, they they were taking it as fast as they thought it was going at that time. So I don't know whether that's changed since then or or what. But um, they they've done several ballistics drills that way where they they've shot bullets into um, material that is similar to flesh. Uh, they've shot it into actual meat. I mean, there, <laughs> right. there's many things they've done over the years to try and prove that there was one gunman and that it's actually possible for somebody to do that. But as you said, Lee Harvey Oswald um, was not an expert shot, apparently. He, he was a decent shot, but he wasn't the best. He he wasn't. Uh, I think they ranked him ranked him as marksman or something. But I've heard that marksman in at that time was not really a great rank for a a rifleman. Well, he was a marine, so mm-hmm. that's where he tested his marksman skills. As yes, exactly. As yes, I think for, yeah. I think he served in the corps for three years. But mm-hmm. okay, so. But there were some other criticisms, and this is something else that comes up in documentary after documentary, and it certainly came up in the JFK film, Oliver Stone's film, which was yeah. the notion that the kill shot, to the head shot, seems to have come from the front, not from the rear. Right. And there's been various challenges to that. I, I know when I look at the film, I don't feel like it's that easy to tell. The president does seem to go his body seems to move back before it slumps forward but i don't think that's how a gunshot to your body uh works i I don't think you know the the bullet hits your head for example and you're you move back with it i think actually that doesn't happen the bullet is traveling at such a velocity that it goes right in you know all the pressure is in the point of entry and mm-hmm. some of it goes through your your head and pushes a little bit more matter out the other side, but it doesn't necessarily knock you back. Uh, right. So so his um, his backward motion could just have been the result of his body tensing up after the initial shock of being hit, mm-hmm. and not really an indicator of which direction the bullet came from. And yeah. if you take if you take that motion of the president's body out of the equation in terms of determining where the bullet came from. It's hard for me looking at the film, and I hate watching the film, by the way, because it's so oh, I do too. Gruesome. Yeah, it's, it is. But taking taking his body movement, his initial body movement out of the equation, which I think is proper to do, I don't think it's really that easy to tell which direction the bullet came from. Uh, right. The fact that uh, Jackie is going after, you know, skull fragments and brain matter that goes onto the back of the car also doesn't prove anything the car's moving forward right um so yeah i mean everything went up and then it went back yeah so but that said all that means is i i don't feel like i can conclude very much from looking at the film i don't think anybody else can either but no. but there there uh, are some uh, people who saw the body right away doctors who didn't get to perform autopsies who, yeah, they could not perform an autopsy in Dallas because the FBI or the Secret Service, I guess, wanted to get the body out of Dallas as quickly as possible. 
And some people think that that was a cover-up so that they, well, like this documentary I saw, the uh, uh, smoking gun documentary, they feel that the Secret Service wanted to cover up the fact that they shot the president. <laughs> so that makes sense, yeah, that they would want to cover that up. But um, I think the general belief is that they wanted to get the body out of Dallas because they didn't, they wanted to make sure that nothing else happened, I suppose. That, uh, you know, uh, if this was, uh, if this assassination was just the tip of the iceberg, they didn't want to be in Dallas. They wanted to be in Washington, so. Well, yeah, it could have been the beginning of a coup d'etat, and. Yes. They didn't know what else was going to happen, and, and the thing is, assassinating the president could have served two purposes. One, it killed the president, obviously, but assassinating mm-hmm. him in Dallas, where everybody's attention would be, you know, not only was the president now dead, but everyone's attention was off of Washington, D.C., where obviously the next piece of action would have to be taking place if, sure. if, if it were a coup d'etat. So, that yeah, that makes actually makes perfectly good sense. But to be honest... Whenever anyone talks about how suspicious it was for the Secret Service to do this or the Dallas police to do this, uh, that always sends up red flags for me because, for one thing, it seems like most of the evidence in favor of a government conspiracy is tied to incompetence, you know, mm-hmm. like certain members. It is the government. Well, well, but this is what I'm saying. The, certain members of the uh, police stepping down it, in inappropriate places and, and certain mm-hmm. members of the, you know, them not calling certain military assets to protect the president, which was otherwise routine. And, you know, they'd look, they point to this and they say, look, why didn't, you know, why didn't they do these things? Obviously they wanted the president to be unprotected and they wanted this to happen. Incompetence doesn't equal conspiracy. In fact, even if it's coincidental incompetence, like that's another thing they say, okay, yeah, you can, you can brush off one instance of incompetence, but there's so many. Look at all of these instances of incompetence happening at the same time. That's quite a coincidence. Well, no, that's usually how incompetence comes in groups of incompetence. Mm-hmm. That, that's why you have to jump on these things. You know, anybody who's ever managed a groups of people will tell you that incompetence spreads like a disease. You know, mm-hmm. you... you when you see some something happening someplace that's bad, you have to stop it right now because if you don't, it's not going to take long before there's incompetence all throughout the system in ways that on the surface look unrelated, but they're not unrelated. They One is causing the other is causing the other. So it, it means nothing to me when the evidence is how incompetent people are because, as you pointed out, it is the government. They are going to do stupid mm-hmm. things. And... In general, the security was lax, but so what? I mean, obviously, that is something that the Secret Service and a lot of other people, they just got lazy about their jobs. And when the Secret Service got lazy about it, that made the local police a little bit lazy about it. And that made, you know, that meant the the, the military personnel that they would usually call for presidential detail weren't even there. I mean, mm-hmm. what is really surprising about that? I mean, we see this in all types of situations like the NASA disasters. We saw that it had to do with people just cutting corners and not really thinking that anything bad would happen if they didn't do their little job. But when they didn't do their job, someone else didn't do their job. And pretty soon you had a catastrophic failure. 
That's what happens. That's how it works. There's no conspiracy. It's right. just how it goes. Well, and that's what they were saying about this friendly fire theory, too. It's nobody's fault. This Secret Service agent lifted up a gun, accidentally turned the safety off, and pulled the trigger. But but they're saying that the shot came from behind, though. Yep. Well, Say the guy, the guy picked up the rifle, and he accidentally shot it. And that's where it went. Well, it, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean that's true. No, of no. Course. Uh, it, but it it kind of makes sense. I mean, it makes more sense than anything else I've heard of. But it's a horrible thing to make sense too. Yeah. Well, in the in the Men Who Killed Kennedy series, they cover all kinds of things, and this is a problem I have in general with these types of things. With with Oliver Stone's film JFK, with the Men Who Killed Kennedy. And other documentaries that I've seen whose names I can't remember, unfortunately. But but they all pretty much do this where they talk to so many people and they cover so many different things that could have happened mm-hmm. that they don't really present one cohesive idea. Right. I mean, in the Men Who Killed Kennedy series, uh, at one point they talk about how they have some photographic proof that uh, the kill shot came from the Grassy Knoll area because they cleaned up one of the photographs that was taken just moments after the president was shot. And you can see a man dressed as a police officer there shoot, you know, firing a gun. Well, hmm. well when you watch the actual documentary, it, you know, they're cleaning up some a pretty fuzzy old photograph. Uh, yeah. Later, they have someone doing it in a much more scientific and systematic and mathematical way, and that's a little more convincing. But then, at the same time, that fella, the guy that the guy that thought that yeah, there was a shooter in that photograph, and he found it using computers and digital imaging and things like that, a much more convincing uh, method for suggesting that someone was there. That fella went back to Dallas and went to where the shootings took place and took a whole bunch of measurements and stuff, and he couldn't make any of it makes sense for a shooter in that location and he concluded that the kill shot came to the president someone was hiding in the storm gutter or the storm sewer (laughs) and shot the president from there Hmm. well (laughs) it it couldn't have been both things so so here's this one documentary series arguing two contradictory uh, arguments about what happened yep. and about who shot the president. Of course, The Men Who Killed Kennedy, that series' main goal in everything it's saying is really not so much to nail down who actually did it. I mean, they're presenting several theories about who did it. Their main goal, I think, is to establish that it wasn't just one person who did it. And if all the theories, if, if we can't settle on one theory, but all of the most valid theories have at least two shooters, then I think to the the people who made this series, it almost doesn't even matter who shot where and when. If we know that it was two shooters, then we have a conspiracy. And if we have a conspiracy, it becomes important for us to ask who was involved with that conspiracy. You know, the, the, the specifics about who they were and where they were isn't as important as the established fact that there were at least two of them. If the theory proves that there was more than one shooter, 
well, then that proves that there was a conspiracy. And then we can start talking about where the conspiracy came from. So let me ask you this. If, in your opinion, if, uh, if you could be convinced there was more than one shooter and it wasn't an accident, do you have uh, any idea or any, any favorite culprit for who might have been behind the conspiracy or, or you just have never really given that any thought and you reject that idea kind of out of hand? Well, I think it's widely known that uh, John F. Kennedy had a lot of enemies. And you have the the uh, Cuba the Cubans, you have the mafia, you have um, CIA people people yeah you have CIA you have people who were huge uh, Lyndon B Johnson supporters who wanted him to be president. Well, and you have people who were not happy with how Kennedy handled the Bay of Pigs invasion. Absolutely, and when he got to to Texas, uh, there had been some pamphlets going around with his face on them like a mugshot. And uh, I think the title on it was... Uh, wanted for Treason, I believe. Is what wanted for Treason, right. Yeah. So, you know, he was he was not very popular in Texas at that time. Well, and, and, and as far as the CIA was concerned, uh, specifically after the Bay and uh, Bay of Pigs fiasco, he fired a, whole, a lot of CIA people. Mm. So, so that was right. that was kind of the angle there. Yeah. Well, also and, he wanted to pull out of Vietnam, and mm. and uh, apparently, I, I think he, yeah, I think he was coming to that decision. Yeah. And the CIA didn't like that, and right. you know, it's probably no coincidence that uh, that after he was assassinated and Lyndon B. Johnson became president. The Pentagon, which had previously released, I think, some kind of memo saying, well, we've reevaluated our actions in Vietnam and we're, we're going to pull out. They released a new memo saying, OK, we're not pulling out anymore. <laughs> so uh, that was a result that a lot of people wanted. And it's easy to imagine that 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 was a result that some people made happen through this uh, assassination. But I want to say something really quickly about the uh, last episode of this series, The Men Who Killed Kennedy, that I've watched so far, uh, the one called The Truth Shall Set You Free, uh, it talks about how the Kennedys, uh, John and Bobby, ha were actually making plans to assassinate Castro. And this, this is well known. I think everybody accepts this is true. There's good documentation for this. And that after the Bay, and, Bay of Pigs fiasco, Bobby took over that operation he 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 wanted everything to go through his office he didn't want the cia heavily involved i guess didn't trust them so there was a very small group of people who were involved in the the project to assassinate castro and uh, what some researchers have found is a lot of documentation to show that in their planning to assassinate castro they they put some plans together about what they would do if Castro found out about the attempt or if the Cuban government found out once Castro was assassinated that the Americans were behind it. So they had a lot of contingency plans in place for this. And what these researchers are saying is that a lot of what happened after JFK was assassinated looks suspiciously like some of the plans that Bobby Kennedy had made in dealing with the assassination 
of Castro. So what they're saying is what it looks like to them was that some uh, rogue CIA or disgruntled CIA operatives, perhaps, and the mafia, because you see, the CIA worked with the mafia uh, a lot on, for, on a lot of things. And one thing they worked with the mafia on, according to some documents, is that if the CIA needed somebody in the United States to be uh, uh, killed, they would, they would work with the mafia to make that happen. So what these researchers are saying is, well, Bobby's plans with, uh, to assassinate Castro, the CIA and the mafia, one or the other or both of them, caught wind of these plans and figured out a way to turn those plans back against Bobby and assassinate uh, Bobby's brother, uh, the president, instead, and then use all those plans to successfully cover it up and frame Lee Harvey Oswald as a patsy. So, so I thought that was kind of interesting, and I'd never heard that before. Right. Had you ever heard that uh, idea before? No. You're not impressed by it? No, no neither. I, I'm not impressed or not impressed. <laughs> I, I, you know, there's so many theories that every theory can be proven somehow, it seems like. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I mean, the thing I watched recently, it made me think twice about a second shooter. But, you know, the more you think about it, you can come up with reasons why that's not really going to work either. <laughs> so, you know, who, who's going to know? Well, yeah, that's... I mean, I'm I'm still, I guess I'm still with the Warren Commission thinking that it was one shooter. And he just denied killing Kennedy or Tippett. So, for, for the obvious reasons. Yeah, for the obvious reasons. But but I heard, well, you know, I, I heard this, but, you know, this is one of those things that's brought up too in JFK where Costner, as Jim Garrison says, they, they held, they held uh, Lee Harvey Oswald for, I don't know, what, three, four hours or something like that and supposedly questioned him and there's no notes or anything about the questioning. Nobody kept any notes. Well, there, that's what's often nothing written. That's down. what's often claimed in the Men Who Killed Kennedy series too. Yeah. So that must be a fact. I, I guess I never knew that before. But that goes that goes along with a lot of things. Like uh, how did a lot of stuff just got lost? Yeah. Like things things were done. Investigations were made, but then the evidence is lost somehow. Like uh, when they did the autopsy, certain things were lost. Certain notes were lost. They said that Kennedy's brain was lost. It was put in a pail or something, and then it was lost. Or somebody said they gave it to Bobby Kennedy, but nobody knows where it is. <laughs> yeah. So lots of confusion, yeah. lots of confusion. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we're actually out of time. Nah, we didn't even get to talk about any movies. Well, no, and and uh, you had it was a, all documentaries. You had a great idea about uh, picking who pl played the best Kennedy in <laughs> TV and movies, but yeah, I'm not. I didn't. I liked Bruce Greenwood in 13 Days, but I, I don't really have anyone to compare it to, honestly. I, I think that is probably the top pick 
for most people is uh, Greenwood's portrayal in 13 Days. Um, I did troll around the internet a little bit and looked at some footage of people who've played Kennedy in the past. And, uh, you know, a lot of those old shows, like from the 70s and 80s, a lot of heavy-handed imitations of um, of the Boston Kennedy. accent and Bobby and Bobby. I mean, yeah, they're both pretty heavy-handed. So I'd say, yeah, Greenwood's is probably the best one. Although his was kind of his was a little heavy-handed too. I've been watching documentaries, you know, as much as I can. Like I watched the uh, the JFK American Experience uh, two-parter on PBS recently. And uh, you kind of get a feel for his voice after you hear a bunch of press conferences and things. And he wasn't as bad as the imitators who have done him over the years. Yeah, so. well, that's that's how it goes when you're impersonating yep. somebody. It's really... Yep. Uh, I, I think I saw in an interview somewhere, uh, James Marsden uh, does a Kennedy in The Butler... Uh, 2013 mm-hmm. film. I think we might have already mentioned that. Maybe we didn't, but uh, and I, I think he, I think in an interview he complained about how it's almost impossible to get it right, mm-hmm. uh, the accent. But I haven't seen his performance, so I really don't know. Well, and Rob Lowe is going to be the newest JFK in. Uh, well, already is in Killing Kennedy. Killing Kennedy, yeah. Aired, like we said, November 10th. So mm-hmm. I haven't seen that either. So we'll have to give it a look. I haven't either, and I'm probably just gonna have to catch it on Netflix or something. Yeah. I'll see how it, see how he does. I think I saw a trailer of it, and yeah, I think it was okay. But yeah, nobody seems to be able to get it right. <laughs> All right, well, I guess we're gonna have to wrap it up then. Uh, All right, Bill, we'll do that. <laughs> uh, see, I can't even do it. If I could practice, I could do it. <laughs> well, that's the. We choose to go to the moon. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> That's actually quite good. Well, I I can do it when he's in speech mode, but if he's just normally talking, then I go into a heavy-handed Boston accent for Massachusetts. All right, well, uh, I'm William Wright. And I'm Scott Wright. Thanks for listening, everybody. Screenshots is a production of Aether Theater. Music is provided by Chris Snook.